and we have an opportunity to, to really slow down and think deeply about where we are spiritually, our relationship with God. Maybe you walked in this morning and you have no relationship at all and somebody drug you here. Welcome. Your love. Uh, if you have been away for a while, wandering and figuring out life and going through the stuff of life, and God has brought you here, welcome. If you are walking with the Lord and you are white hot, on fire, following Jesus, uh, welcome. All of us are in different places, and there's so much for us to be able to take away from our journey in the book of Jonah. And so if you have your, your copy of God's Word open, and if you revival, experience revival, do you know where a good place to start is? Is probably to def- define some terms. I don't know if I need to experience revival because I don't even know what revival means. Well, let me just set the stage uh, as we think about definitions in just a minute is the backdrop of at least just our nation alone, okay? A hundred years ago, hundred years ago, proportionately, there were four times more churches than there are today, uh, according to the ratio of population to uh, church. Four times more. That means we have a quarter of the churches per individual, right, per city than we did 100 years ago. Get this. I don't know if you know any, any history, but something pretty big uh, happened just shy of 100 years ago that we had the Great Depression, one of the lowest points in, in the history of our nation, talking about poverty like our nation has never seen. This is a scary reality. Giving in church proportionately was twice as much during the Great Depression than it is today. In the midst of our abundance, in the midst of our wealth, the percentage that individuals give of what they make, of their income, is half of what those that were living in abject poverty in the 1930s, late 20s, compared to today. Do you think that revival is is needed? Do you think that we're getting to a better place? Do you think that we're moving forward? Well, all the facts, all the statistics would tell us something needs to change. Something needs to give. And I I think many of us have an idea of uh, maybe who it needs to start with because you meet that person in the mirror every day. But the problem is, deep down, we don't believe that the problem is within. We believe the problem is is out there someone, so someone else, right? Not, not me, them, right? It's those people that are the problem. It's, it's them out there that are leading us astray. And, and the reality is, no matter what happens to us, no matter what's happening around us, God is speaking to us personally, individually. And as we open up to Jonah chapter 3, I want us to just define some terms. If we need to experience revival and and if Jonah uh, needed to experience revival, if, if this city of Nineveh needed revival, here, here's a couple definitions. What do we mean by this need of revival? Uh, one definition would be a renewed interest, a renewed interest after indifference or decline. A renewed interest after indifference or decline. Before you can be revived, you have to be vibed. Okay? What in the, we, we, we know viva. Okay, in order to be made alive again, you need to be alive in the first place. Right? 
And so for some of us, our starting point is, I don't need a revival. I need Bible. I, I don't need to get right with God again. I need to get right with God for the first time ever. Uh, another definition of revival is an outpouring of God's spirit, which brings an abhorrent of personal sin. Not somebody else's sin, not somebody else's failure, personal sin, and an overflowing delight in the nearness of God. He's not far off, he's near. And how desperately we need this in our day, right? I don't, I don't know where you have found yourself as, as you entered in, but for us to experience something new, the old has to go. In order for, for us to start moving forward and making progress, we need to stop continuing to go back to the old, familiar ways. And Jonah experienced some serious revival. And what does God do with somebody that gets fired up and gets revived? So Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. What do we have? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The, the word of the Lord came to Jonah second time. Well, the first time, if we were to rewind, the first time that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, he said, go east and speak to this nasty, horrific city of Nineveh, this massive metro of sinful wickedness. And he said, no, instead of going east, he went west. God was speaking clearly. He didn't, he didn't murmur. He didn't stumble. He spoke directives that were absolutely clear, and the response was absolutely clear. No, no, I will not. The second time God's voice comes, the word of the Lord comes to him. If I want to experience revival, personal revival, write this down. Listen, listen. God will speak. Listen, God will speak. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Is God speaking? Yes. Do I have God's word this morning? Well, if you have your copy of God's word, God is speaking. The question is, what am I? Am I listening? Am I, am I listening? It's not whether God is speaking loud and clear. It's whether I am leaning my ear towards him. So it, was, it wasn't like it is today. In Jonah's day, how did God speak? I mean, like you're talking about God is speaking audibly to individuals. Jonah was a prophet, right? So he was for hire. He was a professional ambassador, a speaker on God's behalf. And so when God spoke, and I just thought to myself, well, we, we don't know if I just had you know bad pizza last night and I'm thinking I'm hearing God's voice and I'm not sure if that was uh, just something creaking uh, in my room or if that was really the Holy Spirit speaking. Well, well, today, here's the beauty that we have a more sure word. We actually know we can open God's word and we can have confidence. God is speaking. God has spoken. And here we have the truth of God's word. So it's a little, a little different, but regardless of how God has spoken throughout history, he is speaking. The question is, am I, am I listening? So the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And our God, this is such good news. If you were like God, you would have a heart of pursuit a heart of compassion. You would have a heart of persistence. If you had God's heart, you would keep going. Keep at it. Are you grateful that God is not like you? That if somebody, one strike, two strikes, maybe three strikes, done! I'm done with you. I don't need you in my life. I don't want you. I'm ignoring you. Uh, you're dead to me. 
And here we have God not just, I'm speaking once, are you going to obey? The God of the universe, he comes back to Jonah. He's not done with Jonah. He is so patient. Do you, do you know him? Do you know this God that just keeps, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Are you, I'm, I'm still coming after you. I still have a mission for you. I still have a purpose. And even though you reject, and even though you say no, and even though you turn away, walk away, run away, I'm coming after you. I'm not, I'm not done yet. That's our God. That's what God is like. He comes the second time. God's moving. God's speaking. And I, I just thought to myself, man, I will do what God wants to do. Sometimes when I know how it's all going to end, I will do what God wants me to do if I know for certain it's going to turn out well for me. I'll, I'll obey God's voice when it kind of is in line with what my heart is already wanting, desiring. And Jonah learning the hard way that no matter how far he ran, God wasn't done yet. God was changing his heart. That changes his attitude. And I, I just thought of a parent-child relationship of, uh, did you hear what I said? Uh, I told you to clean your room. And when I came back, like, what, what happened? What happened? We don't ask the question, did you hear what I said? Because you were unsure if they, if they heard you properly. What are we asking? Did you not just hear it, but did you what? Did you do it? Did you obey? Did you do what I told you to do? Did you follow through? Not just listen, but do it. Obey. And here we have, here's the second round. And Jonah has a choice. And he is going to do what he didn't do the first time. He is going to listen. He's going to listen. Get alone with God. Listen with a listening heart because God is speaking. And he's going to keep coming back. And if you want to experience personal revival, and I, I hope that's your desire. I, I don't want to stay dead. I don't want to stay apathetic. I don't want to sleep my life away. I don't want to busy my life away. I don't want to be distracted for the rest of my life. I want my life to matter. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? I want to make a difference. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste it. And if I want to experience personal revival, here it is. Am I listening? Because God's, God's speaking. God is speaking. Am I my listening. I, I just jotted down. If you want to experience personal revival, get a journal, get alone, get on your knees, get the word of God opened right in front of you. Highlighter, pens, markers, marking verses, listening with a heart to obey. I want to do it. I want to do it. For some of you, I know I lost you at get on your knees. Okay. You're like, yeah, that, that didn't happen. All right. Uh, don't fall asleep. Okay. So that, that low bar of open the word of God. God, speak to me. Talk to me. I'm listening. And number two, if I want to experience personal revival, number two, believe, believe. Let's back up to verse two, but we're getting to verses three and four. Arise, God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Verse three, so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. Everybody say, yay. Yeah, come on, there we go. All right, he's on his way. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a whole day's journey. Yeah, one, one day at a time in the correct direction. 
And I, I just underline in, in my Bible, arise, he arose. Twice we see the first time he was called to get up and go to Nineveh, and he got up and ran away. This time it emphasizes twice. He's getting up and he's going in the right direction. He's saying yes to the will of the Father. And he's going not just a little ways. I, I don't know if we realize this. We, we talked about, I, I think I forgot to put the map in. We talked about going from the port of Joppa all the way to Tarshish would have been, you're talking Middle East to Spain. Everybody say that's a long way. It's a really long way. And it's like, all right, Jonah, you got a boat ride there. You got a, uh, a big fish ride the rest of the way. And he was <laughs> vomited right up on the beach. And after sitting in a stomach, right, stomach acid of a big old fish, he probably had layers of skin that were totally acid burnt off in the boiling hot sun after a boiling hot acid bath. And he's walking days back to where he's supposed to be. Does anybody believe that there might be consequences to our wandering, to our straying, to our rebelling, to our running away? And sometimes, and I just want to encourage you, don't be discouraged by the path back because God's walking with you, returning back to where he wanted you in the first place. But sometimes it's going to cost you, right? Like, how long? I mean, like, I got right with God. I mean, God forgave me, right? Isn't everything just supposed to, like, go back to normal? Everybody's just supposed to forget that I totally destroyed their life, broke trust, broke relationship. Like, I'm right with God. So why isn't everybody else on board? And it's like, it's a long walk back to the place that you started. It's going to be painful. Keep going. Keep heading in the right direction, no matter what it costs you, no matter how much it hurts. So he goes all the way back. He ends up in Nineveh where he should have been. And here we go. <laughs> Nineveh. I, I, I don't know if we realize, because we just think like, especially because everything's bigger in Texas, is like, like how, how big of a Nineveh could it really be? So can we get some perspective? I, I'm not good with Texas geography yet. Okay, I'm, I'm becoming a master. All right, this takes time. All right. So Laredo to Corpus. That's how wide Nineveh was. Um, if you go from the west side of Fort Worth and you walk to the east side of Dallas and then you turn around and walk back across, that's how wide Nineveh, 120 miles across. Everybody say that's big. Like, like that, that's like Texas big, all right? All right. And so he's walking all this way to get to this city. And then once he gets there, just to be able to like get into the city center to speak, it's like it's another 60 miles just to get to the heart of, of the city, right? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. But his heart was made right. He got right. He experienced revival. He experienced going from rejection of God's will to accepting. He went from death to life, and he was willing to do whatever it took. Not just, I'm good with God. Not just, God made things right through some painful circumstances, but he said, I'm willing to go to the most wicked city. Massive millions. Everybody say millions. Millions of horribly evil, wicked, treacherous, okay, like Sodom and Gomorrah-esque city, and he had to walk through. What, what would that have been like? He's entering into a city, walking in on the outskirts of a place like Nineveh, and I don't know if he's seeing like 
people out in the open just being tortured, skinned alive, prisoners of war. You're seeing wild homosexuality and, and people raping in the streets, and he's just walking through. And I wonder, in his mind, he's going, man, I know I was bad. I know I rebelled. I know that, that I disobeyed. And God's going to forgive me. And I, and I wonder if in his heart, he went from being so excited about experiencing redemption and, and forgiveness and being restored, but then when God sends him on the mission to accomplish the purpose that he was sent out to Nineveh for, I wonder if in his mind he's going, at least I'm not that bad. Like, like I'm supposed to really speak up. Okay, I said I would, so I'll follow through and, and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But I wonder if even in the outskirts of Nineveh, his heart started growing a little cold. Those people, I'm not like them. I'm different. And here's the truth. Jonah was so much like Nineveh, so much more than like God. The similarities of his wickedness were so much on parallel with this evil city than could be compared with the heart of God and the likeness of God. It wasn't him and them. It's God and everyone else that has fallen short. And here we have such a, a passion at first, and, and he's still willing to to go through with it, and he's willing to speak up. So what, what was the message? What was the message? Do you see it? Verse 4, he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Anybody think that was like a super persuasive, convincing, like smooth, real smooth, Jonah. Like that's how you're going to win millions of people. You're just going to stand out in middle of the city square, and you're just going to yell out, 40 days, you're all going to burn. What do you think the response is going to be, right? Um, I don't think that was a tweetable message. I don't think that went viral in any way. Right? I don't think they were making like TikTok dance moves to this really catchy, really suave message, right? It's like, this is like the worst sermon ever, right? Worse than mine. I mean, like, this is bad. This is really, really, really bad. 40 days and you're going to die. Judgment's coming. Yeah, not, not so good, not so good. But guess what? It's not about the persuasion of man. It's not about tickling the ears. It's not about finding uh, the, the person, the right person that you can subtly try to reel in with the truth, the gospel, right? The warning of, of God's judgment. The reality is there is a message and if God has spoken it, God has given it, you deliver it. And Jonah said, okay, okay. And I'm, I'm wondering if Jonah was thinking to himself, wow, this is, this is not going to go over well. Good. Because I really didn't want him to repent. I didn't want them to get right. I didn't want God to show mercy in the first place. So I'm just going to open my mouth and we'll see, we'll see how this goes. And I, I think to myself, when God tells us to do things, oftentimes it doesn't really make sense. We don't see how this is going to lead to the results that, that we think should occur, right? Back in, I mean, this is this is a few years back. I remember 2007, 2008, God starts speaking to Sarah and I about a little island in the southern Caribbean, okay? I'm from Wisconsin, so 
contrary to popular belief, that was not a uh, destination that I was super excited about. 110 degrees with 95% humidity with no air conditioning for five years is not what I was really thinking about for my, my future. If I would have known, just transparency, right? If we're going to be real in church, hopefully we can be honest in church. If I would have known the end, I would not have gone. If I would have known the suffering that would have taken place, that, that I would have to suffer uh, Caribbean malaria for two weeks of my life, dinghy fever, and I would have to go through what I went through. If Sarah knew that she was going to go through two life-threatening emergency C-sections in a third world country with one hospital, like odds are if we knew the end, we would not have chosen the path. But over the course of a year, for God to confirm, no, I, like, I, this, is, this is where you're supposed to be. And saying, okay, all right, I don't get it. I don't know how this is going to happen. Uh, funding didn't come through. We ended up uh, with a few hundred dollars a month living off of, and that's fine for a couple living on a college campus uh, that we were able to oversee uh, Baptist Bible College of the Caribbean for, for a few years. And as soon as we transitioned to church planting, we didn't have any money, and pretty soon we're in the middle of every month for years not able to buy diapers. Pretty soon one child, then two, then three, and pregnant with four. And it's like, I would never have signed up for this. I never would have chosen this this way. But there's something amazing when you look back and you go, if I wouldn't have said yes when it didn't make sense, if I wouldn't have walked through the open door, if I wouldn't have submitted my will, when my flesh was screaming, it's not worth the risk. How is it all going to work out? How are you going to pay for this? What, how, what, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan here? And I need to have it all charted out. In God's economy, risk is right. Risk is right for his kingdom in obedience. And so often, we say no, we say no. And for those of us that have said yes over and over again, we both have a an ability to look back in hindsight and say, that was the most painful season. That was the, the most risk that I've ever taken to say yes to God's will. And yet, it was the most beautiful thing. I, I couldn't even make it up. I couldn't manipulate this. I couldn't force this to happen. And I don't know if you've come to a place, if you are a follower of Jesus, that it's not you have some good seasons and then some bad seasons and you have some hard times, and then around the corner are some better times. At some point along the way, like after you turn 20, you realize the rest of my life is on parallel tracks of saying yes to God is going to be continually painful and sacrificial and amazingly fruitful, and what an incredible blessing that I couldn't experience any other way. And it's always on parallel tracks, and it never, ever separates to just the good and just the bad. It's always good and bad. It's always painful and glorious. But how many of us have never experienced that because we just keep saying, comfort, American dream, my way, maybe someday, but not now. I'd have to sacrifice and give up. I'm not willing. And Jonah, even though every step I'm sure was painful, he said, God, if you send me, you're going to supply. If you supply, and I believe you, and you're going to speak, I'm going to listen. And if I go, you go, right? You're going to go with me, and you're going to provide, and you're not just going to supply for me, you're going to use me to supply for others. You are going to work through me to be a blessing 
to others. So if you want to experience personal revival, number three, here's the, one of the hardest parts. You need to repent. Jonah had to repent, and he had to call a people to repentance. Repent, God will receive you. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So was Jonah called to go to the city to judge the city, criticize the city? No, to compare himself with the wickedness of the city? He went to what? To offer mercy because he knew the heart of God. He knew the father heart of God was one of mercy. And what did Jonah receive in the belly of that big fish when he bowed the knee? He received mercy when he finally repented. Uh, I, I don't know if we have clarity on, on repentance. I have a few, few notes here. In order to believe, to, re, to repent, it's not just to acknowledge, to have some head knowledge. We're talking about turning away from. Believing in Scripture really is the idea of I'm rejecting all of the lies. I'm rejecting the false ways. I'm rejecting what the world told me, and I am turning away from that. I'm turning 180. I'm turning away, and I'm believing I'm trusting, I'm repenting. Repentance is always action. There's a chain reaction. To believe is to repent. To repent is to take action in keeping with repentance. So I just wrote down, and maybe this is utterly fictitious, maybe nobody ever thinks this way, but I just wrote down, here's the conversation. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, yes I do. Have you repented? of your past, of your sins? Well, no. Have you had a changed heart where you where you hate your sin, the thing that you used to love, you now hate, and you've turned away from it? Well, no, no, but I believe. I mean, I, I believe. And here we see Jonah believed God, and belief looked like repentance. And repentance fleshed out, lived out, looks like action of turning away and turning towards. It looks like I'm done running and I'm now running towards God. I am done rebelling and saying no to God and I'm now saying yes and I'm surrendering my will to Him. And what's, what's one evidence that we see in Nineveh that they actually repented? That there's like belief, faith is rising up from this message. How do we know? What, is it, what does it say? That they, they fasted, that, that we have sackcloth, that, that the greatest to the least, that you have the, the prime minister, you have the president, the king, right? All the way down to the babies, right? The babies are, are busting out the ash and sackcloth. Everybody is involved in this. There is an action. There is a, not just an attitude, but an action taken and that they are fasting. And for some of us, some of us, we hear fast, and we're like, well, how, how fast? There's exercise, like, there's running involved with this whole following God thing? No, fast, fast. I mean, here, here's a quick definition. The denial of a physical appetite to heighten the spiritual. Denying the physical appetite to heighten the spiritual. Fasting, fasting. I don't know, I don't know if we recognize this, but historically, up until about uh, 120 to 150 years ago, I don't know what happened to fasting, but prior to that, the history for over a thousand years of God's 
people, followers of Jesus, was consistent, regular fasting was part of the spiritual disciplines. It was like, well, yeah, we do that as a family. Yeah, we do that together. We do that as a couple. We were taught that, we're modeled that, we live that. And all of a sudden, the past hundred some years, it's like, yeah, we don't need to do that anymore. Well, part of it is, it's an explanation for why in our modern Christianity, like, why is it that there's such apathy? Why is there such indifference to spiritual things? Why is there such passivity and involvement of God's church and being God's people? Part of it's like, well, I'm so full and so fat on the world's delights, on everything from uh, sex to entertainment to food, that like, I'm full, thanks. And there's something powerful that God has called us to in that evidence of a repenting people, a turning people is I'm willing to go without because the longing of my heart is to draw near to God, to turn away and to turn towards. So the people of Nineveh, they believed, called for a great fast, put on sackcloth. What in the world, what's, what's up with sackcloth? So if you, if you got a big old potato sack and you, you strip down to your skivvies and you put that puppy on, how does that feel? Mm, that's nice. Mm. Not so much, right? What is the purpose of that? Why would I douse ashes on my head? Why would I crawl into nasty a uh, bag? And it's for this reason. Because I am so done with appearances. I'm so done with the facade that, how are you doing? Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm done being fake. I'm done acting like I'm good with God when I'm not. I'm not okay with God. God's not okay with me. We're distant, right? I've wandered. I've strayed. I am up to my neck in the world's pleasures, and I have not turned, not repented. And when it does happen, they're like, I want to show, I want to display to everybody around, I don't care what I look like. I don't care. Like, no makeup, no lashes, no suit and tie. I'm so done because I so care about getting right with my God that I don't care about anybody's judgment. I don't care about pleasing people, putting on facades. I'm done with all that. I'm done playing the game. I mean, this happened over and over again throughout the history of nations and God's people. They were like, we're done playing church. I don't care anymore. I need to get real. I need to get honest. And I don't care if it hurts me, right? I want to feel the pain that I'm causing my God. I want to feel the hardness, the roughness of my sin in my heart, and I want to express it outwardly. So they would have, even to this point, by decree, the kings and his nobles, neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, tasted anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them, what does it say? Not just like, suffer, repent. What was the purpose? What was the end game? To call out mightily, passionately, loudly to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Can you imagine? To have a group of people that have never heard God's voice, no representative had been sent. They were in like mid-swing, right? Like the evil that was in their hand. Dudes having like machetes in their hands ready to like chop somebody's head off and all of a sudden the call to repent and they're like, 
like mid-swing, right? Mid-evil action, they dropped it and the realization of, I haven't been living right. It felt right. Everybody else was doing it. I've been living wrong this whole time. I need to repent. I need to repent. A whole city did that. 40, 40 days. This is what they knew. 40 days. I got 40 days to get right with God. I mean, let, let me just ask you. If you knew right now, I mean, that would be weighty, right? If you knew today, you have 40 days. God's coming. There's no more speculation. There's, you, don't, you don't need to, to watch anything on YouTube anymore, right? Any more documentaries about Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation and, and how it's all going to end. No more theory about apocalyptic times. God said, 40 days, I'm coming back. Would your life change a little bit? Would your priorities change? you got 40 days, and you're going to be face-to-face with your maker. What needs to change knowing that we don't know how long, but we know the time. It's imminent. It's coming. It's, it's near. They had 40 days, and they didn't wait. They didn't wait to the 39th day, right? They said, right now, we're going to do business with God. Do you, do you think Jonah was excited about that? Or do you think he was a little reserved in his heart? I, I don't want to give the ending away of, of the book, right? But spoiler alert, there might have been a little bit of a reservation in Jonah of like, ah, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew if I would go back, if I knew I would tell them that they need to repent, then I knew, I knew it. God was going to be merciful. He was going to convict them. They were going to get right. They, they were. They were going to be restored. They were going to be forgiven. Those wicked people. I knew God, God's always doing that. And he's so powerful and he gets all, all up in their business and he just calls them out and he gives them a new heart and, and they turn away from their wicked ways. I knew he was going to do that. And I wonder for some of us, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to have the conversation. I don't know if you have somebody in your life where you're like, I don't even want them to be forgiven. I don't want them to get right with God. Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know how they've hurt me? They've hurt people I love. And you know what? I do have the truth. And I know what the good news is. And I don't want them to have it. Because that's just so unfair. I've worked my butt off. And I'm, I'm doing the good stuff, the Jesus stuff. And all of a sudden, just in a moment, they could just be forgiven and wiped clean in their whole past and all the hurtful things. Unfair. Jonah. His heart moving towards Nineveh was one way. And I wonder as he's watching this play out that his heart was changing. He's watching them turn. Listen to God's voice. Believe his words. The call to repent, to turn away from the wrong, move towards the right, stop running from God, run towards him, and here we go. Lastly, everybody say land the plane. Does it, I'm not convinced you really want me to land it. Everybody say land the plane. Come on. Number four, wait, 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 wait. God will revive. God will revive. That's what he did in Jonah's day. Do you see it? Verse nine. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we 
you will not perish. When God saw their deeds and that they turned from their wicked way, God did relent. God relented concerning the calamity, the judgment, which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. They didn't even know at that point whether in 40 days if things were going to go well for them, but they were going to do whatever it took, right, on their side. They were responsible for them. They were responsible to respond. They were just hopeful. Maybe, maybe, maybe God will forgive. Maybe, maybe when he comes, he won't destroy us. Maybe. There was no confidence at that time. And today, we can have confidence that in a moment, I know that I know that I know that I am not going to face God as judge. I'm going to face him as my rescue, my savior, my boss, my king. If I repent, if I turn to Jesus, how powerful is that? But in light of their response, this is, this is what God says. God, God repented, literally. God relented. God, God repented because they repented. Okay, I don't want to get into an argument about, I don't know where you're at with God's sovereignty and we, we, can, we can go deep in the, the pool of theology right now of like, can God change his mind? Could God do that? Can he do that? It says he did. Okay, I'm going with what it says. God was going to bring judgment based on the reaction, the response of a repenting people. God changed his mind. God repented. He relented. He pulled back. Did you know that God is so reluctant to anger? This is just so powerful. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're doing the rest of the year, but you could do a study on this. Everywhere that it says the heart of God or God's heart throughout Scripture, every single time it's about patience and kindness and gentleness. Every time that God lays out the wrath and brings judgment, it is after a long, long, long season of unrelenting evil. The wick that God has is unbelievably long. I, I don't want to display my anger. I don't want to bring judgment. I, I, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. If you're going to make me do it, if you persist, and I, that's not my heart, that's not my heart, that's not my heart. And the wick, how long does it take for God to get to a place where I'm getting close and I'm going to send a messenger so that I don't have to bring judgment? I don't know what your view of God is like. I don't know what, when you, when you think about God, what comes to your mind? Right? A.W. Tozer said that the greatest thing about you is what you think when you think about God. It's the greatest thing about you is your, your vision, your perspective, your thoughts about God, and how many have an attitude of like, God just hates me, he's just messing with me, like doesn't even like me, he's kind of like my, my dad that just abandoned me, and he's, he's out there somewhere busy with somebody else, and he's nowhere to be seen, and and I try to talk to him, but he doesn't answer. And God's not like that. God is near. He's close. He's pressing in with his long suffering. Long, long suffering. God is so quick to forgive. He loves to forgive. Is that, is that the image that you have of God? Is that God's like, I want to so bad. Just turn away. Just reject the false gods. Get rid of the idols. Just come to me. I love to love you. I love to forgive you. I love to show mercy. Please come. I am eager. He's on the edge of his seat wanting to dispense 
grace to you. And oftentimes what keeps us from God is an image of God that's not true. That's not what God is like. So he turns. He loves to turn away from his anger. And for many of us, if we would see God in all of his glory, if we would see him as he really is, that God takes the most wicked, most evil things, and he loves to turn them for good. He loves to display how awesome and powerful he is to make the worst the best, to make the worst times the, the best times, to make the most horrific circumstances to pour out his grace and to turn it into something beautiful. But we have to what? We have to wait. Waiting on God sucks. I hate to wait. You hate to wait. All right, maybe it's just me. I hate to wait, all right? Confessional pastor time, all right? Y'all can pretend. I hate it, but I, I have to wait on God, and I have to trust him in the waiting, and I have to wait for him to unfold his plan instead of me hijacking the plan, and, and he loves to unfold these kind of circumstances of forgiveness, of displaying grace. 